If you have a Bible, open to Genesis chapter 19 or turn on your phone to there. Um, so I want to start by telling you about a conversation this past week. I talked to um, one of my friends who lives on Sanibel Island. Now, some of you guys um, will know, you're like, lives? Do you mean lived? Because wasn't that one of the places that was wiped out from Hurricane Ian? Yes, actually, uh, he told me the, the gripping story of their basically fleeing this, this terrible hurricane, this destructive, uh, horrifying uh, storm, packing up all their valuables and running for their lives. And I was thinking about this um, as I was reflecting on that conversation, how were they saved from the hurricane? How were they saved? And I was thinking, well, you know, they listened to the meteorologists who were warning them about a hurricane to come. It made me think about, think about how many lives have been saved by uh, technology and, and meteorologists who study weather and can see storms coming. Well, they listened to the warnings and they acted on it. Here's the thing. Meteorologists save lives, right? And thankfully, for here in Iowa, you know, during tornado season, we, we hear sirens and we're thankful for that. A good weathercaster will tell They'll tell you of the dangers of a coming storm and how to stay safe. I feel like, as a pastor, I feel like a meteorologist this morning who's telling you guys we're coming to a story that I have been wrestling with so much. I mean, if you talk to the elders, it was like last Monday. I'm like, I'm so troubled by this story because... It's a hard one to talk about. It's a hard one to teach. But I, I know because I've been studying this and, and looking into it, we'll talk about it. I know about the danger that's coming. And I know where you can find safety. And so we're going we're gonna to read Genesis chapter 19 together. And... Uh, I just I want you to I want you to listen and and enter into this story and then we'll we'll talk about it okay we'll we'll debrief when we're done but just listen to these words from Genesis 19 this is God's word to us this morning the two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway when Lot saw them. He got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside to your servant's house. Wash your feet. Spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said. We would rather spend the night in the square. But he urged them so strongly they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them and they ate. Before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. They called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have sex with them. Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the door behind him. He said, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they've come under the protection of my roof. Get out of the way, they said, adding, this one came here as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. They put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door. But the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the entrance of the house 
both young and old, with blindness, so that they were unable to find the entrance. Then the angel said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons and daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. They brought him out and left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, Run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor with you and you've shown me great kindness by saving my life. But I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to. It's a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it, so that I can survive? And he said to him, all right, I'll grant you your request about this matter too and will not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run to it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar. The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Early in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain, and he saw that smoke was going up from the land like the smoke of a furnace. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. This is God's word. As we begin to try to unpack this story, and um, one of the interpretive challenges for those of us that teach the Bible is we come to this story some 4,000 years old or however old, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to read this story that happened then, and we're trying to build this 4,000-year-old bridge that can span the gap from there to our time, 2022. So I've been struggling with this. What does Genesis 19 mean? What does it mean for us? How do we apply it? And as I thought about this question, um, I went back and found all the times that the other writers of the New Testament or of the of the Bible reference this story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham and Lot in Genesis 19. And what I found is, I mean, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Peter, Jude, Jesus. Jesus references this Genesis 19 a lot. So thankfully, there's already a lot of good content. And basically, I'm going to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, uh, just so I stay in the safe zone here. Because uh, honestly, there's so much here I want to share. 
so many details of this story. And as I was reading, I'm sure you were like, wait, what? He did what? I don't understand that. But instead of getting into the weeds, I want to go back to these other uh, prophets and Jesus himself to talk about how did they think and preach on Genesis 19. So let's start with Jesus, okay? And and the way we're going to frame this, uh, this in is we're going to go back to, to these sort of uh, lessons from Genesis 19. And, and like I said, I feel like a, a weather forecaster this morning. So we've got four dangers that I want you to be aware of. That's what a, a good meteorologist does. They tell you about the dangers and they tell you where to find safety. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to get there. But, but the first danger from Matthew 11, listen to, listen to Jesus and how he talks about Genesis 19. So He proceeded, Jesus proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So Chorazim, Bethsaida, verse 23, and he says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So Jesus here in Matthew 11 is protecting us from a trap that I think we as Bible teachers often fall into or you might fall into when you read a story like this. Because Sodom and Gomorrah could almost make you feel good about yourself. Because we're not like those bad people in Sodom, right? I mean, maybe you can say, oh, no, we, I feel like we live in Sodom. But I'm saying, but when you say that, you assume that you're not a resident there. You're not affected by it, right? And so the story of Sodom and Gomorrah can almost feel like, you know, those people were bad, and they deserved it, and we are not them, But do you see what Jesus is doing here? How he's using Genesis 19? How he's using the story of Sodom? He's saying, I'm standing right in front of you doing all these miracles, doing this awesome work, and yet you refuse to change your life. If those people back in Sodom had seen what you're seeing, they would have turned from their sin. And so he's using the story to condemn the people who are seeing Jesus, familiar with Jesus, and not actually repenting of sin. So the first warning for us, the first danger I want you to write down is assuming that Sodom is about them. Does that make sense? Assuming that this story is about all those bad people in Iowa City or all those bad people in wherever, my school, my university, my workplace, whatever. I think Jesus is, is bringing this back to us. And it's just the overwhelming lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah is a lesson of repentance. And let it begin with the house of God. So what is the sin of Sodom that Jesus often called people to repentance toward? Um, well, the name itself, and and without getting too graphic, we even use this word sodomy, like uh, sodomy crimes, if you study law or have heard of that. And what we mean by that is 
it's generally just unnatural sexual relations. You know, that definition is, is often changing, but, but generally unnatural sexual relations. And we get this from chapter 19, verse 5, where you remember this part of the story, that the men of the city called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have sex with them. The, the people of Sodom had fallen into the, the sin of homosexuality. But Jude, um, as I said, uh, Jude, a writer of the New Testament, expands on this definition. So we can't just narrow in on homosexuality as the sin because Jude broadens it. Look at Jude 1.7 in a similar way. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an, as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So everyone, no matter who you are, you have some kind of sexual ethic, some way of determining what's right and wrong related to sexuality. Like that's okay and that's wrong. Well, I don't know where the world gets that. Um, they just kind of, you know, have, uh, you know, their own. Maybe it's based on intuition, whatever. But where does the Christian get our sexual ethic from? Well, we already read it. Page one in Genesis chapter one, we see that sexual immorality refers to anything that is outside the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And so you can go back and listen to those sermons. We, we taught on that. Um, but, but back to Jesus here. So I think, I think what he would say to us is something like this. Okay, you come to church. You sing in worship. You go to Bible studies or connection group. But have you turned away from your sexual sin? Have you yourself, I mean, let's not talk about all the people out there. Let's talk just about you. Because I think that if you come to Veritas, I mean, this church is alive. Jesus is doing stuff, right? We see baptisms all the time. Uh, God's saving people, miracles. You're hearing these stories. We had a video about, you know, miraculous stories, things God is doing. And Jesus says to us, so you guys, Capernaum. Beth Seda, Chorazim, you guys are watching me work, and yet you refuse to actually change your life and deal with the sin in your life. You can't read Genesis 19 and just talk about all the people out there. Have you yourself turned from sin? We can't call out the LGBTQ community if we ourselves are looking at pornography or thrown out the divorce word in our marriages or living with our boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or whatever it is, like doing things that are outside of God's will for us related to our sexuality. So we need to turn the focus to ourselves. But here's the thing, and I want to say this to you, if you are someone that struggles with same-sex uh, same attraction um, or, or something that's, that's unnatural sexual relations, what, what we're talking about here. I want to say to you that um, I hope that Veritas, I hope right now you don't feel targeted 
Because what I'm saying to you is, welcome to the club. We want this to be a safe place for you to struggle with your sin, even if it's hard to admit and it's shameful. Because in the reason that we, it would be a huge mistake for us to reduce Genesis 19 down to homosexuality or even sexuality, and here's why. Because Ezekiel talks about Genesis 19, and listen to what he says. And I think this is going to hopefully comfort you that your sin is no different than mine because of the story I'm about to share. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor, and the needy. Did you catch that? Great timing for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Does anyone feel a little overfed? Uh, This is Ezekiel. He's saying, you want to know what the sin of Sodom was? And he focuses on their disregard for the poor. Whoa. He focuses on their apathy that they were well-fed, overfed, unconcerned, arrogant. This is what troubles me when I come to Genesis 19, because I look in the mirror and I see this passage and, and I, I say, um, I was, well, I'll just tell you the story that, that happened to me. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I got a text from my friend Sivan from Zambia. And if you're tired of hearing about Zambia, listen, we're in this together, okay? If I'm going to Zambia, you're going to Zambia because we're in this together. Sivan, he texts me, and uh, I don't know if you guys remember, we, we raised some money so he could have a wedding, and I, this was a couple years ago. Anyway, we've maintained our friendship, and he texted me. He said, one of our church leaders has a toothache, and he texted me a picture. The whole side of this guy's face is swollen, And I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. And he's like, can you please pray for our brother, Honest? He's a leader in our church. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to get on a plane to go. My wife and I are getting away. We're going to this Compassion International retreat for pastors. And and so I'm like, trouble. I don't know how to get him the money. And so I just kind of, you know, I'll pray for him. Pray for Honest, but on I go with my life. I go to this retreat hearing about, you know, this amazing ministry helping the poorest of the poor. It's an awesome ministry. Then Friday I get home and I get another text from Savan. Please pray for our brother Honest. He's not doing well. And he texts me another picture. And I can't show you these pictures because it's so terrible. It looks like something like gangrene has just broken out. Open sore. This, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's terrible. And I'm thinking, I mean, what have I been doing this week? Overfed, unconcerned, throwing up a token prayer for Brother Honest over in Zambia. And then I come to Genesis 19. And I 
I, it's, like I, it's like I'm haunted by the words of Jesus. Whatever you did not do for the least of these brothers of mine, you didn't do for me. And this is what separate, separates sheep from goats in Matthew 25. So, I, okay, Savan, how much is the medicine? He's like, well, it's in Kwacha, I don't remember what it is. It, in, in, uh, in dollars, it's $59 he needs for antibiotics. The whole church has been trying to scrape together $59, and they can't afford it because they're all subsistence farmers. And so they're watching a church leader die of a toothache. Which $59 isn't even enough money for me to shop at the mall and get something nice, right? And so, as God just worked this in my heart, I wish that I could say, I feel much better about myself because, yeah, we, we, got, we got him the money through the Hope Center, and, and he's got antibiotics now, and he's doing much better, and I hope the story has a happy ending, but I'm telling you, I don't feel better about myself. And I'm not worried about all the people out there who are doing perverted, terrible things when I look at Genesis 19 and I look into my own heart and I see this danger at work, it's, it's the danger of just reading the story and like all those bad people. It, I have to, we have to do the work, church, of letting this land in our hearts and hearing, like tuning our hearts and minds into the voice of Jesus I'm just worried that we've gotten so familiar with, with Jesus that we've just, we can't hear his voice. Because it might even be because we're so angry about all the people out there. We just, we need to hear the voice of Jesus this morning calling us back to repentance. Jesus uses this story again in Luke chapter 17. Listen to these words. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Listen to this. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Whoa. This is not just an old story about something bad that happened to a, a bad town 4,000 years ago. Jesus says... It will be just like that on the day that I return. On the day when I'm revealed, the earth will end like Sodom. And if you read uh, Peter, he tells about what this is like when the whole earth, not just a city, the entire earth is going to be destroyed. 
And Jesus tells us what it's going to be like in that day and how we're going to know that his coming is near. Listen to what he says. He says, it will be just like the day in Sodom. What was that like? What was the day before judgment like in Sodom? Eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. It will be a day just like today. What will the end times be like? That'd be like today. Lot's sons-in-law thought he was joking. Did you catch that part of the story? Like, fire and sulfur from heaven? Danger number two, comfort and complacency. Turkey and football, shopping and holidays, Christmas music, and decorations just be another day when Jesus shows up. And Jesus uses Genesis 19 to wake us up out of our complacency. Are you ready? For the return of Jesus. Third one. This is from Jeremiah 23, verse 14, and then 16 through 17. Jeremiah 23. Listen to what Jeremiah, how he uses the story of Genesis 19. Among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. Jeremiah is a prophet, and he's looking at the other prophets, the people claiming to speak for God. I've seen something horrible. They commit adultery and they live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. This is what the Lord of Armies says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They're deluding you. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord has spoken. You will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, no harm will come to you. Jeremiah is saying, the people that are claiming to represent God are lying. They are like meteorologists who are seeing the storm coming and they are telling the people, oh, you don't have anything to worry about. Don't run for the mainland. Enjoy the island. Get another margarita. Like you're safe here. As they watch the storm roll in, Jeremiah is calling out the false prophets who encourage people that their sin is really not that bad. And, second, and Peter picks this up, 2 Peter chapter 2. Again, you have to wrestle with God's word on this. Listen, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. 
They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many who follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them, those false teachers. Verse 6. And if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Danger number three, telling people there is no danger. If you are a Christian, you are an ambassador of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. That means you are God's mouthpiece to the world. You have the truth. Or maybe before this morning you didn't, and now you do. (laughs) Whoa, I didn't know the storm was coming. Now I do. Now you know. You've heard the words of Jesus. This is how it's going to go down. This is how it's going to end. This is what it's going to be like. So now you know. And we are the ones that tremble at God's word. And we understand that this puts us at odds with the culture. We get that. We know that. But the word of God compels us to speak the truth. We can't be like the prophets of Jeremiah and of Peter's day who are telling the people, peace, peace, when there is no peace. If you are trying to help someone come to Jesus and they want to come to Jesus and they don't want to acknowledge the truth about their sin, they don't want to confess their sin, they don't want to call it sin, and you affirm them in their sin, you are a false prophet. You are like someone who's saying, peace, peace. Oh, God loves you and he'll accept you. You don't really need to change. That would be one of the most hateful, evil things you could do, is to know a storm is coming, to know how someone could find refuge, and to just lie to them. Here's the truth about where you will be safe. In Jesus Christ, run from your sin, whatever it is, whether it's like mine of being complacent, overfed, comfortable. I don't want that. I don't want a casual Christian life. I want want Jesus. I want to be crucified with Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own, but I want to be in Christ. I don't want to be like him, transformed. Don't you? That's where safety is. And 
the worst, most evil thing we could do for you as a church is you come in and we make you feel more comfortable in your sin. So here's a challenge. I want to I challenge if there are some of you here who have kind of been caught up in the ways of our culture. I want to challenge you. If you are unclear on what is considered sexual sin, if maybe you are someone, instead of calling someone to repent of sin, you are someone who affirms people in their lifestyle of rebellion against God. I want to challenge you to let these, go back to these scriptures and find out what does God's word say about this? You know, you don't have to just believe me, but just go back to God's word and see what God says about this. We cannot be unclear about this. I know that when the world uses this beautiful symbol of God's covenant with Noah, as a symbol of rebellion, proud rebellion against God in the, like the pride flag, for example. If you are someone who identifies with that and that represents your worldview and yet you call yourself a Christian, I wanna call you to change your mind about that. When I see that, it makes me so grieved and so sick And if you, you see the storm coming and you hear the words of God and yet you refuse, I call you back to repentance, to change your thinking on this. And I don't want to minimize the struggles of those in the LGBTQ community. Um, I, I can't imagine the struggles and there is so much to lose. But hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. He says, 11.32, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Remember, the angels are dragging Lot out of the city. He's got his wife, his daughters. And he says, do not look back. And Jesus says, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. Some of you are like, she turned to salt and she just looked back. That's pretty harsh. No, it was more than that. It was more than that. She, there was something, she was trying to go back. She was trying to settle in the valley too close. Jesus says she was trying to make her life secure, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. She could not let go of her life in Sodom. And we get that, right? It's not easy turning from your life of sin. It's not easy. There's so much to lose. You might be losing your community. You might be losing your family. You might be losing the approval of your friends, your coworkers, your classmates. But hear the words of Jesus. As I talked to my friend who fled Hurricane Ian, 
His house was decimated, and there's terrible stories of the ways that people that stayed on the island passed away. But he talked about packing up in their little truck all their belongings, and they left. And he said, we got inland, and the storm was coming, and I remembered there were things that I left back at home. And I told my wife, I think I need to go back. And she says, do not go back. In fact, we are getting in the truck right now, and we are going to drive to Arkansas. And they did. And hours later, the road was washed over from the storm surge. Because they listened to the warnings. And there's one last warning that I just want to leave us with here. And it's, it's danger number four, and, and it's not responding in prayer is the last one. And let me explain this, not responding in prayer. Genesis 19, verse 29, I want you to see how this story ended. The last verse of our passage, it says, So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. He remembered Abraham. What, what's going on here? Well, I skip chapter 18, the story of Abraham coming before the Lord, praying for Sodom and Gomorrah, praying for Lot and the righteous people who live there. But God says he remembered Abraham. He brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. Abraham heard about the judgment of God, and he went to prayer. He stood before the Lord and is like, please, Lord, have mercy, have mercy. As Christians, we live in a world, I, I don't know if our world is better or worse than Sodom. That's kind of a futile thing. It's just a bad place. It's the world. And, and what is our response? Our response should be like Abraham. We should respond to this news this morning with prayer. The world doesn't need just more outrage. The world needs some prayer. Some real Christians who are going to get on their knees before the Lord Let's turn up the temperature of prayer. Let's start prayer walking around our neighborhoods. On your walk, say a prayer for your neighbors. Say a prayer for our city, for our leaders, our government officials, our, the people in your life. And let's be a people of prayer like Abraham. Wish I had more time for that. But let's, let's follow his example. And we also remember in, Gen in verse 29 where it says he remembered Abraham. There's a promise involved here. And that's why we're going to end our time with communion, because ultimately the reason God saves the righteous, it's a big arrow pointing to Jesus. Ultimately, the cross of Christ is where we truly find refuge and safety. Let's, let's pray together. The writer of Hebrews says that we have a better promise than Abraham. Because this promise is based on the blood of Christ. And Genesis 19 is a warning, but it's only there to help us run to Jesus. There is no reason you need to be in danger this morning. If you run to Christ, you will be saved.
you will be saved. The proverb says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are safe. Jesus, we run to you this morning. We forsake our sin, and we run to Jesus. And God, we do pray for our city, our nation, our world. We pray for revival, that the name of Jesus will be exalted. God, do it here, that great work, the miraculous work of drawing people away from sin into the marvelous light of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.